BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Situation Room. Welcome to the Situation Room. Welcome to the Situation Room. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to uh, this Wednesday night edition of the Situation Room. Um, you know, Gabe, what would you think of this? Uh, would you call it a football game? I wouldn't. Um, it's a it's a it's a competitive sporting event, I think, maybe competitive. I don't know. It, it was it was not something that I would consider NFL quality. It's more like a high school football game, if anything. Um, it was just really, really sloppy, both sides of the ball. But, you know, under the circumstances, did you really expect anything different? Yeah, you know, I'll get on my soapbox for a second. And the Ravens have hammered the NFL enough on this. But, you know, this is not a sport that you can just come in and pick up and play. Like, like this is not a game that guys that you can't be prepared for, that you can't practice together for. There's a reason why training camp is so long and there's a reason why they do what they do. And the NFL made a joke out of the Ravens and the Steelers um, and this very, very well-received rivalry in the NFL. Um, they made a joke of NBC. They made a joke of um, Collingsworth and uh, and Mike Tirico. Like th- th- this whole thing was a joke. Um, and so, you know, I'm happy to talk about what we saw on the field. And there are a couple nice things that I think the Ravens have to take away and a couple things that were obvious lessons they needed to learn but you know I, I think this was was a colossal mistake on the nfl's part to let them play this game yeah it's it's hard to really have an nfl that says we care about player safety when you have a depleted roster that is basically playing players you haven't been able to practice um they're going to be more prone to injury they don't have the same level of preparation that you should have going into an nfl game and a lot of them just weren't like physically ready and, and it showed and i think that obviously aside from the issues of covid which i think were also kind of glossed over as there were two positive tests the day before the game and they still said oh those don't matter for some reason we're just going to go ahead and play anyway even though we initially said that any more tests and we're going to have to push it. So they were just desperate to play this game for whatever reason. They didn't want to go into that um, week 18, you know, nightmare scenario where you had to have uh, an extra week um, because then you have the extra playoff team, like everything like changes. And I, I don't think the NFL was prepared to, to go to that extreme. And, you know, the Ravens and the Steelers had to pay the price for it. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't understand it. I still don't understand it. Um, they couldn't have made any money on this. Nobody nobody was watching. Most people were, <laughs> a lot of people were working. Um, so, you know, I, I guess the NFL got what they wanted. The, the show rolls on for the moment. And, you know, obviously we wish the best to everybody, both on these teams and in general about COVID and kind of what's going on with this pandemic right now. But, you know, let's break down this game a little bit because, you know, you, you called it, uh, you and I have both before we got on this podcast have referred to this as looking like high school football a little bit. Um, you know, what stood out to you in this game? So uh, obviously on the Ravens, the, their offense was borderline unwatchable. Um, there were a couple of like, you know, fits and starts of, of good play. I thought, you know, guys making plays, I think that was able to happen, which was nice to see. Um, I don't think there was obviously much scheme that went to this game. They kind of just had a pretty basic game plan, run the ball and hope that you can like get a couple that, you know, hit um, RG three. I do want to talk about for a minute because he looked okay running the ball. He had that one really nice scramble. Um, maybe it wasn't a scramble. It was a design run. Um, and it was, what was it, like a 40 yard run or something. It was pretty impressive. He kind of looks pretty goofy when he runs. <laughs> He looks like he has like limbs going in all, all over the place. It's really funny. Um, but he, you know, he managed to put together. He had a couple other runs that were okay. Um, he ended up getting knocked up or not, not knocked up, um, injured late in the game. I'm not sure if it was related to a run. I think early in the, or end of the second half, he kind of pulled up lame um, on a play where he was, where he was doing a design run. And I think that probably nagged him for the rest of the game. But as a passer, he was just, really bad um he didn't throw the ball very many times but he was basically throwing the ball short um inaccurately when he was throwing it anywhere longer than five yards down the field and he had one of the worst interceptions you'll see from an nfl quarterback where he just stared down a pass on third down and, and the quarterback at the corner read it all the way and it was an easy pick six for joe hayden um so I, i'm I'm disappointed that the Ravens were in the situation, obviously, you know, having COVID, you know, run through the, the locker room is never a good thing. Having a backup quarterback who's not capable of running an NFL offense, I think is inexcusable just in spite of that. Like you can't have a quarterback who's not capable of running your offense. And I know it's a bad week. Um, you don't have any time to practice, but he's a veteran and he's a veteran who you counted on to be a guy who could step in. And even though it wasn't a normal week, you still think he should be capable of completing you know, passes that are that are normal and not making the mistakes that he made. And I just don't see how the Ravens go into the season where they have Super Bowl aspirations and know that Lamar Jackson is one hit away from potentially being out for several weeks or the end of, for maybe the entire year. And this is your option as your backup. It's just not someone you can count on. And I, I don't think that the Ravens were really well prepared in the offseason with Lamar Jackson's backup being Robert Griffin. And I, I think that, you know, this is something we saw last year when he came in and played. He didn't play very well. And this year we saw the same thing. I, I don't think he's a capable backup. And I think that's a problem. Yeah, I, I I mean, it's hard to disagree. He he did not look like an effective backup. Um, you know, if, if you look at the box score just alone, you know, it was pretty ugly. But that being said, you know, Wilson did drop that touchdown. 
um, which was a nice throw under duress that he had. And RG3 had pressure in his face. And, you know, look, I don't want to – the reason I pre- prefaced the start of this podcast talking a little bit about why I think this is an abomination from the NFL is that there's – I don't think there's a lot that we can take away from a schematic standpoint in this game. But what on earth are you running kind of read option handoffs when you haven't been able to practice them all week as part of your game plan? And like, why are you running empty backfield five wide sets with RG3 as your quarterback? Like he against a a pretty menacing front for, you know, even with Hayward and Dupree and Watt to start the game. Are you really going to go five wide and let RG3 like have those throws? Like if I'm the Steelers coaches, of course, like jump the routes. Like go after, go after him early. Like, like, you know, assume that they're not going to get these extended plays. And if they get behind you and he can beat you deep, so be it, you know, let make them do it first. And and that's why you get that pick six to start the game. Um, It it wasn't putting him in a position to succeed. And he was under, he was under a lot of pressure the duration of the rest of the time that he was in the game. That being said, I don't think RG three is a capable quarterback. I just, it's just, it's impossible to to make any kind of assessment, I think, of what we saw on the field. Because if you get a week of practice and you see these kind of things happening, then you change your sets, right? Like you're under center more. You're, you, you make adjustments because you see that it's not going to work when you actually do it on the practice field. But if you don't get to practice at all, then this is the result that you get. So, you know, to me, that just that that's what makes it so hard to kind of have any idea of, of what we were actually looking at or not looking at potentially. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely like the worst possible scenario, right? It's like it's bad circumstances. A large part of your offensive line is it's kind of makeshift. Um, and I agree with you. You know, he was under pressure, but I just there was just nothing there that would make you think that he's capable of even under good circumstances really leading an offense. Um, I mean, obviously the legs are still kind of a weapon with RG three. He's still capable of making some plays with his legs, so that's something. But, I mean, he just doesn't, he doesn't have the ability to pass the ball um, accurately or, or with, you know, any kind of conviction. And that's something that I just think is, is really required for a team that, you know, has Super Bowl aspirations. And um, I, I don't know, I, I know that RG3 is, is a veteran that the, obviously the, you know, the front office likes, the locker room likes, he's, he's well-respected. Um, I think that's a big reason why they kept him, um, kind of to be like that mentor, like locker room leader. And if that's the case, okay. Um, but I, I don't think that you can take those intangibles, and I'm using air quotes uh, while, while I'm saying intangibles, and put them over tangibles in terms of your actual ability to run an offense. And I just don't see that with RG3. I didn't see that last year with RG3. I haven't seen it in the preseason with RG3. I didn't see it when he was playing in Cleveland. Like this goes back basically until his time, this second season in Washington was really the last time he was like a viable NFL quarterback. And I know he's your backup, but you still want him to be able to, you know, throw the ball down the field. And I I just don't see that with him. He missed some throws that should have made. Um, I know it wasn't all on him, but it's just, it's just hard to have expectations and not have this kind of, insurance plan for the most important position on the field. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree with you uh, again, you know, I, I don't think our G three is an NFL quality backup even. And I, I'm surprised the Ravens went into the season and, and, you know, as good as DaCosta has been at evaluating 
some positions. I think that DaCosta is not so great at evaluating what he needs from his secondary or like kind of like step in players. We're, we're seeing a little bit of that from DJ Fluker. Um, you know, even Andre Smith opting out, he was a late addition last year anyway. It's not like he was kind of a plan for the Ravens kind of longer term as swing tackle or whatever that might look like. Um, and so I, you know, I think that there are real questions whether or not the Ravens can build the depth that they kind of, that you need from, you know, you need guys that can step into these roles and play these spots in the NFL, especially in a year that's kind of COVID driven. Um, and we're not seeing that right now, but, you know, I, I thought there were a couple positives and, and, you know, probably the two things that I thought were that I would take away as good were one Cologne Castillo, I thought played pretty well at center. Um, for a pretty menacing front from the Steelers. I thought he held up pretty well, got leverage a couple times. You saw that on the Gus Edwards touchdown. Um, it's nice to know that the Ravens have another guy that they can add into that mix there. Uh, but the other one was, you know, Justice Hill. I thought he ran hard. I mean, good Lord. I, I mean, half of these plays, the, the, either either it was an opportunity for a big gain or like the Steelers had four guys in the backfield as soon as the ball was like in the quarterback's hands. Um, it was, it was, it was a little bit of a mess. So like, if you look at Justice Hill's overall line, it wasn't as good as I thought he ran hard, but I think the first, you know, the first thing that we'll, I'll put up on Twitter for you guys to check out is this third down run from Justice Hill. And, and, you know, he puts the moves on, on Watt and he's able to basically make him think he's going inside, bounce it to the outside and then run through, you know, a lot of traffic. Um, and that was the only time in this game where he made some guys miss. And that's a thing that we've saw. This is, I, I didn't really think about this before I said it. That's a thing that we saw from Justice Hill in the preseason a couple years ago, but have not seen in an actual NFL game, I think for more than more than one or two splash plays in a given game. And I think this is the first time that we kind of saw that. That being said, this was a little bit more like a preseason game. So, you know, who knows what there is to take away from that either. Yeah, that, that, that's what this game reminded me of as a preseason game. And I think that, and maybe that's where Justice Hill is, has shown the most luster. Um, but you're right. Like he looked really good in this play. I think he had a couple of times where he really showed off his burst. Um, and that, and that was something that really stood out to me here. Not only the ability to kind of like cut on a dime, make a guy miss, but also just the balance, um, to run through tackles, run through contact and, and still like have the juice to pick up more yardage. Um, I was really impressed with Hill. He, he, I think he only had like 10 carries, nine or 10 carries. Um, you know, he didn't pick up a huge number of, of yardage. Um, the Steelers have a very good defense. A lot of plays went for short yardage or no yardage. Um, but he did have a couple of plays where you're like, yeah, that's the kind of guy that you want. Um, and I know you have not been a huge fan of Justice Hill. Um, and I think that he hasn't really proven that he has anything to offer in a major way. But these kind of, you know, short glimpses of what he can be, um, I think combine that with a guy like Dobbins and you have a potentially dynamic backfield for a couple of years down the road. And that's something I think you can look forward to. I would really like to see, you know, Hill given, you know, 50, 60, 70 touches in a season, or maybe like down the stretch, see if you can work him into the offense a little bit. Um, I don't think you need to give touches to Ingram, honestly, like he has shown to not really be able to do anything. I don't think most of the, like this play that that um, Hill picked up the first down on the third and nine, Ingram would have been the loss for two yards on that play. Um, he he wouldn't have gotten away from Watt. So that's the kind of thing that Hill gives you. 
especially when you don't have the great blocking uh, front that the Ravens, you know, had last year. They don't have potentially, you know, some of the other weapons at, at tight end. You need somebody who can make players miss. I think he and Dobbins can both do that. And I think you want to give them the opportunities to be in space, make players miss, and pick up some chunk yardage. And I think that's something that you could potentially have with Hill down the stretch. Yeah, I, I mean, it's possible. I, I mean, we'll see if he continues to, to you know, where he, like, stands out. He's been really good on special teams this year, so there's a place for him to continue to be on the roster and on this team. I think Mark Ingram is not on this team next year. So, yeah. um, you know, whether or not Edwards – I'd like to see Edwards back. I think, you know, I think he's a guy that, um, you know, he didn't have a great game this game, but, um, you know, I, I think he's more effective and, and better than he gets credit for sometimes. You know, that being said, I, I don't have a I don't have a problem with there being space for Justice Hill on this team. You know, Dobbins is the guy moving forward mostly that that I think we're all going to want to see. But that wiggle from Hill was was good to see. And we hope we want to build on it. And, you know, I think the other thing that we saw was and, and you know, again, I, the objective here is not to say that the Ravens needed to scheme better for this game or to get on Greg Roman or to get on any of these guys, because, again, I just don't think that that's. I don't think that's fair or reasonable um, in terms of an outcome for this game, but, but we did see a big pass to Hollywood Brown late in this game. And again, from a takeaway for future games, he looked really good when he's, when he has the ball and he's in space, he's a guy that can make people miss. And he's a guy that like teams, I think are dedicating a lot of attention to, and the Ravens are either not taking good enough advantage of it, or when they aren't doing it, they aren't looking to get him the ball enough. They aren't designing routes to get him into kind of like one-on-ones. Um, and they aren't des- like they don't design these routes and combinations to do anything effective. Like, and and let I'll let you talk about the Hollywood touchdown. But like an example that's like like right in my mind about this was the um, swing pass to Justice Hill, where he just gets absolutely blown up by the corner, right? And so you see. Boykin run a slant on that play and you see basically a mesh pattern across the middle between two other guys that did not include Boykin, right? So all they needed the Ravens to do was have Boykin actually run uh, for once, run a nine route in that spot. And at least just like you make the, you make the corner, make a decision. And RG three has like a two versus one, uh, you know, again, not trying to like get too much into that, but, but it's those play designs and the Ravens inability to find one-on-one situations for these guys to have a design and to have a design. So when it's pre-snap, the quarterback can identify what that's going to be and throw it to that spot. Um, and, and even in this instance of the, like the, the Hollywood touchdown, you know, it looked like it was covered too, but Joe Hayden, I think that's Joe Hayden underneath is just trying to do the same thing he did earlier. And he thought McSorley was going to throw the ball underneath and he was trying to jump the route and run it in for another touchdown that left there be space for Hollywood. McSorley kind of short armed it. I thought um, into that space, but Hollywood was looking back on the play. Cause I think he saw the Hayden had jumped the route. And so that's what made it happen. But Hollywood made two guys miss after that. And looks when he is in the open field, he looks really good. So, yeah, so, Hollywood Brown, I mean, obviously the speed you saw and that ability to make players miss um, or make players kind of have to respect his speed. Like on, when he was running away and he had that clear lane for a touchdown, he just kind of juked the defender, made him think he was going another way, and then it was an, an easy to get by him. And with his speed, he can do that. Like we said, the issue is in tight areas, when he has bodies around him, he doesn't seem to be able to have that kind of run through contact, balance through contact. The thing we're talking about with Justice Hill, who did show that ability 
that ability to bounce off a body and you know maintain balance and keep going. I would I wish that was something that Hollywood has because I think that would make him a more well-rounded target. You know, someone who you could use more on like the jet sweeps and the uh, you know the short wide receiver screens. That, that seems to be strictly a thing for Duvernay in this offense because he's the guy who does have a little bit more toughness, a little bit more strength through contact. And I think that's something that maybe Hollywood can develop. Um, but if not, he's he's really going to have to be that intermediate to deep threat guy and not so much somebody who you can do much more than like the quick slants underneath. I mean, I, I agree with you. It seems as though that's the case. But like, you know, if you're Baltimore, like, and, and again, not trying to get on the coaching staff for, for this game, like, why not try? <laughs> like, I don't think we've seen Hollywood Brown on a single jet sweep all the season. I think we saw one like screen pass, like in week one or week two that ended up like not getting completed. And then it has gone away completely. And you see him run these kind of like little orbit routes. And even on the first play of the game, like it worked. Like you got a good block from Boykin upfield. They were playing off from him and you swing the ball out to Hollywood and he got six yards. So like, I, I agree with you that he hasn't shown kind of the affinity to break that into a, a really big play. But like, if I'm a defense, I'm not even trying to defend that from the Ravens because it seems like they're not even trying to do it. Like, and, and so, you know, it, it just makes it, they make it so easy to defend them sometimes. And like, it's like, there was a point in this game where it's like, they had these, they have these guys run these deep vertical routes and then they keep, they basically will have them run like a post or like a flag route or whatever. And, and in some instances, they just need these guys to stop. And, and you see the Steelers do this with their routes all the time. Their guys just run deep. And then instead of completing the nine round, they just like Ebron does this a lot. And Schuster, they all do it. And Deontay Johnson, too. They just kind of slow down. And then they continue. They give you a throw because you've built this cushion behind you where they don't want to get beat. And then you have all this space to throw in behind them. The Ravens never do that, right? Like the route is always then breaks off into another direction or it continues to go in a nine. And it's like, like, like when they finally do stretch things vertically, it's like they like need it to happen a very specific way for it to break where all they need these guys to do is run 15, 17, 18 yards down the field and they just stop, right? Because now you stretch the defense vertically, but you also have this window where you've created your own space for the receiver and you never see them do that. And on this play that we're talking about from Hollywood, that's basically what happened. Right. Like if Hollywood stops his route there anyway, which he kind of slowed down a little bit, um, if that route is designed to stop underneath there, there's still even if Hayden doesn't jump the route, a window for a really good quarterback to throw the ball in there. Um, And it just seems like the Ravens in that instance usually would just be running that guy up the field, even though Wilson is kind of running the short out. And and in that case, you're running both guys into coverage and you're not taking advantage of what you have in front of you. Um, so, you know, I, I want to see the Ravens do more. I like, uh, to me, it's one of those things where you can only pr- protect Marquise Brown for as long as you want to protect him from here. Um, like you got to let him play through the contact. You gotta, you, you've got to try and, you know, to some degree, force the ball to him, get it to him in space, get it, like give him a chance, like make him an isolated single side receiver and, and throw him these bubble screens, like do this stuff and like let it play out and make teams defend it. Because I think there's opportunities there that the Ravens are missing. I definitely agree. I, th- I mean, he's the Ravens' best receiving threat, at least at the wide receiver. Um, and if you have two guys, like you have Andrews and you have you have Brown, and then you have another guy who you can kind of use as a threat in Duvernay. Um, I feel like you can be more creative with with those receivers and use them in ways that will help 
get them open, you know, design things off of each other in order to use one to draw coverage and have the other one, um, you know, have that you know, opening underneath, like whether it's Andrews, you know, kind of doing like an over route and then you have an opening underneath. Like we've seen some dagger concepts that work pretty well um, with, with Brown being used as that kind of like deep in or deep crosser. And that's worked pretty well a couple of times. And I've seen him open on those at times as well. And like the throw just wasn't able to get there for whatever reason. So I think that, you know, they're doing some of that, but they just don't do it enough. They, a lot of the time they're just, some the route combinations just don't make sense, especially in like specific kind of down distances that they're, you know, ran. Um, and that's, I think that's my overall issue with, with Greg Roman is that I feel like the design of, is there a lot of the times it's just when to use it and how to kind of put the right players in the right positions isn't there. And, and it's, there's like kind of a, there's a, there's a disconnect between the personnel that he has and, and the play design that is being used. And it's there some of the time, but it's not there a lot of the time. And that just kind of feeds into the whole issues that we've seen with the Ravens offense the entire season with inconsistencies, because when it's all working together and it's, the players are put in the right positions and, you know, the execution is there, it looks great. But a lot of the time it's not. And we have kind of a play that's, half baked and it looks like it could work, but something goes wrong or it's just de destined to, to die from the beginning because it was just like ill-conceived. Yeah. And, you know, you know, the one area that I think that you can be critical of the Ravens coaching staff in this game was like, what the heck were they doing before the half? Like, and, and yeah, field goal is not going to do anything. And yeah, if Luke Wilson catches that touchdown and comes down with it in the back of the end zone, then great. And I love that play call and that play design in that instance, run that play on the play before, right? Yep. Run that play on the play before and then run after it. So there's enough time to get the field goal kicking team out there on the field. Like if you invert those two plays alone, you're fine. I'm also okay with the Ravens just clocking it there and kicking, like, like kicking the ball, right? Like, like they should have just fucking clocked it on the second down instead because it, it was a waste of a play and a waste of time. And yeah, there were some shenanigans and things that were going on kind of with getting the ball reset and all of that. But like, you can't count on that if you're the Ravens, right? Like you, you just, you just can't count on that. Um, and, and in that instance, the Ravens would have been better off with like Harbaugh getting out onto the field and taking a penalty in that circumstance and having to throw it 12 or 17 yards to the end zone instead of letting the clock run all the way down in some instances. So, you know, that, that might be a little extreme, but at the end of the day, these are the kind of things that you should be prepped for as coaches, right? Like if, if your job is to be in the NFL, like you, you should have all the iterations of what you want to do with a minute left and one timeout or less on the clock before the end of the half. And you should already know exactly what you want to do. Uh, I find that to be wholly unacceptable for the coaching staff and, and the, the, the execution that we saw in this game. Yeah. And one, one thing I would say as well, um, I thought Justice Hill might've gotten into the, the end zone on the first down. First down I think play. he was short. He might've been short and it might just because he accidentally ran into the, his own guy, but it was really close. And I feel like, under two minutes, that should have been a play that would have been reviewed. But I guess you don't, you can't review that. I don't know. I feel like that was really close. I completely agree with you, though. You can't run on second down, second and like a foot. I know you feel like you can just punch it in, but that chance of not getting it in and then not being able to get the plays off that you need to is just too great. And you have an opportunity 
to really easily get two good quality plays in, I don't think you need to clock it. You just need to have two good play calls. I would say two pass plays, that one on third down was a great play call. You could have run that one on second down, like you said. And then if it doesn't get caught, then you have another shot. And then if you don't score that one, then you have a field goal. So it was just it was just bad sequencing. And it was – I know that, there, like you said, there was a pile that shouldn't have happened. Maybe there should have been a penalty on the Steelers for a delay of game there. Regardless, that didn't happen, and you kind of got screwed for it because you didn't have the right attack, plan of attack there. And – the other thing, now that I think about it, like I said, if if you're in the circumstance where some shenanigans happens when you run, like run it on the third down and then take a penalty, so at worst you're just moving the the field goal back, right? Like in that instance where like you're like, oh, you know, you know, we're gonna run this right up against the clock and we're gonna be ready to kick on fourth down, like then you take your chances there, right? Then you're running on the field, you're taking a penalty, you're doing, uh, you know, whatever optics you need to do if that if you're getting held up there and you're not preventing yourself from getting the extra down. Um, you know, I, I thought Justice Hill was pretty clearly short on that play and he, there was a kind of like a second surge effort, but like, regardless, again, this is the kind of thing that like, like I used to play Madden relatively competitively. Like you have, you play enough and you've been in these situations enough and you're prepared enough for these that you know exactly the kind of things that you need to do and the kinds of sequencing and the kinds of thought processes that go into this. Like, where is the person whose job that is to make sure that that happens? And like, there were times where like the Ravens were getting the play off with like three or four seconds left on the play clock. And it's just like, like without pre-scheming for this stuff, like that is unexcusable to get your play barely in at the 15 second marker when you're in the quarterback's ear and not give these guys enough time to line up. You you can communicate the play out openly. It's just things it it feels like, and and I hate to say this because the Ravens, I think historically have been a really well-coached team. They have, been really poorly coached this year i think they've been unprepared they've taken a lot of penalties that have been kind of like there was an illegal formation penalty today like they take these penalties that they don't need to take they don't seem ready they don't seem like they know what they're doing they don't run an effective two-minute drill for all the things that joe flacco wasn't like like he might not have hustled during that two-minute drill but like (laughs) they knew what they were doing and he knew where he was going with the ball he got it to the right places to the outside and in the right ways and worked the clock really effectively and the Ravens are doing what seems to be none of that this season. Yeah, it's a real kind of head scratcher to see how the Ravens kind of have fallen apart in like the little areas. And those little things that matter, like penalties, like especially this pre-snap penalties, those are killer and they're easily avoidable. Um, the Ravens have had tons of them this year. And like I feel like last year they only had a handful. They were so good last year in so many different ways. And I don't I don't want to put it all on, you know. Roman's feet because I feel like he's been a punching bag for me this year. Um, and, you know, some of it definitely goes to hardball as well. And some of it's just on the players. Like some of it is, is the players not lining up properly. And like, you have to be better than that. You, I mean, these are professional athletes. You have to know when you have to, when you cover up the offensive lineman, like that's basic football one-on-one, like you can't be off the line of scrimmage. If you, if you're, you know, the last guy, like that's just basic knowledge. Right. And it seems like, yeah, maybe it's on the coaches to not have those things drilled in there, but like on the same t- side, like these aren't complicated things. Like these are pretty basic concepts and, you know, it just seems like there's a lack of focus. So I think if you can blame anything, it's, it's blame the coaches for not like kind of having guys ready to go and like in the right mental space. Um, but 
I don't know. It, just, it seems like it's it's been a constant theme throughout the season. And when the Ravens haven't been as dominant as what we saw from them last year, these little mistakes add up and they're costing them games, honestly. Yeah, and the Ravens were lucky this game, too. I mean, the Steelers dropped a lot of balls. There were at least six plays that should have been catches. Like Marcus Peters got schooled by Chase Claypool early and he just dropped the ball um, in the red zone. They couldn't hold on to the ball. Um, ben missed a couple reads. But, you know, when it came down to it in the big moment, we saw a big catch um, from James Washington. And like, you know, I think everybody knew that they were going to throw on this play. I don't quite understand why Ellis was on the field. I definitely don't understand why Ellis was dropping into pass coverage on this play. Um, it's it's a pet peeve of mine to see some of these guys that shouldn't be dropping in pass coverage, dropping in pass coverage. Um, and, you know, and then you get a wide receiver on Bowser and he runs right by him. And, you know, Clark just doesn't have a shot to, to break up that pass without it being pass interference. You know, I, I thought Clark could have gotten a little more aggressive, but honestly, he would have drawn the flag if he did. Um, so I, I don't put it there, but, you know, and maybe it wasn't Ellis because it's not 71, it's 97. So who's, yeah, who's it's, 97? I think it's the, the practice squad call up. Um, I think slipping my name. Um, it, he's one of the practice squad call-ups. Okay, I think yeah. It, I think he's an outside linebacker. Oh, is he? Oh, okay. He looks like he's the size of a, There's no way he's an outside linebacker. That guy looks as big as Ellis. <laughs> <laughs> he's not quite as big as Ellis. <laughs> That's um, why I thought it was Ellis, because he was a big guy. But, you know, you've you got a wide receiver matched up against Tyus Bowser here. And, you know, it's, it's no surprise they completed that pass. Yeah, and honestly, like, I thought it was a great catch by by Washington, the wide receiver, because um, Chuck Clark was he was right there. He he made a play on the ball, and you know Washington went up strong and came down with it. And, and like you said, the the Steelers did have a lot of opportunities in this game where, where they dropped passes. Um, you know Marlon Humphrey forced two fumbles. Uh, of course, the fumbles went out of bounds instead of bouncing towards a Raven. Um, but you know that was nice to see him able to kind of get back into that groove where he's punching balls out. Um, so th I mean, there, there was a little bit of, of, of luck that went both ways in this game. I thought, I thought there was some officiating that kind of definitely tilted towards the, the Steelers' favor, and that's been a constant theme this year. Um, it's, it's actually kind of alarming to look at some of the numbers that have gone against the Ravens. Um, anyway, that's, that's kind of an, a, a non sequitur there. But, yeah, you know, this was a play where, where they could have gone off the field, and – they did the thing that I know you you hate the most, which is just blitz your your best cover guys and drop your your guys who probably aren't your best cover guys and and it's to it's the, the idea is to you know simulate pressure, bring a guy from a place where he's not being expected to come from, and you know it did force Ben to kind of throw up a, a 50-50 ball, but you know the receiver was able to go up and get it, and it, it was it was probably you know. I don't know if that's the play call I would have gone with at that point. Um, that, that's Wink Martindale. I think, you know, he had his opportunity, third down, third and long. You can get off the field, get come away potentially with, with one more last possession. And unfortunately, it didn't go their way. But I think that in an ideal world, you have someone like Marlon Humphrey covering, you know, the slot receiver. But, you know, you can only hope for that um, in, in retrospect. So you know, this is kind of emblematic of, of this game, um, kind of scrappy, gritty play, getting back into it. And then 
almost in the right position and, and couldn't, couldn't quite pull it out. So that's kind of the story of the Ravens season and a lot of aspects too. Yeah. Well, the, you know, and, and this is, there were a couple big for all the, the discredit that I'm giving the Steelers for their drops. And there were huge drops on a big third downs to end drives, like with regularity, um, you know, Mike Tomlin called them a JV team after the game and and he was not completely wrong. They played a really poor game. This is definitely the chance. The Ravens definitely had a chance to steal this one, but for all of for all of those moments, there were still big moments where they had their bit like guys stepped up and made plays. And I'd say that the problem for the Ravens this season has been that in almost no instance of the entire season, when they needed somebody to step up and make a really big play outside of kind of Marlon Humphrey in that kind of three week, three to three, six kind of period or week two to week six period, the Ravens have not had someone that has stepped up in those big moments. And like, been able to do something like that. You would want to see Yannick Ngakwe maybe get a pressure in this situation. Obviously, we're not going to have. I think Judon is not eligible to play against Dallas. Yeah. Um, and Ngakwe did not have a great game this game, which is one that I thought that we, we would have. I would have liked to see him have a better game. Also, Marcus Peters is trending very hard in the wrong direction right now, and I don't know if that is scheme and the Ravens not putting him in kind of his best position for what he likes to do, or if it's just Marcus Peters is, you know, he, he came up lame at one point and he didn't look completely healthy for this game. So maybe Marcus Peters just isn't healthy, but he's been pretty bad this year. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, if you look at some of his, his metrics across the board, he hasn't been um, the same player that he was last year when the Ravens got him. And I, I think that part of that is some of the things the Ravens are doing in coverage is a little different this year. They're doing a lot more zone, I think, this year than they were doing last year, which isn't his strength. Um, last year, the Ravens played a lot of cover one and a lot of cover zero. And, you know, they've done that some this year, um, you know, putting him in, in man situations where he's kind of on an island. And, and he really excelled in that. And I don't think he's as comfortable playing off man, or I should say um, in, in zone. Um, he's just, I think he's too um, almost almost fidgety like he wants to make a play he wants to be involved and I think when he's not involved in the play and up in the guy's grill he's kind of he, get, he tends to kind of get get lost looking at the quarterback I think and he, he wants to kind of make a play at times when he doesn't need to and if he just you know has his responsibility then I think it, it's something that would be beneficial for the defense and he, he tends to kind of stray away from that and I think that's one of the big issues with him. I don't understand why the Ravens don't go back to playing more of that style. It's like your best asset is your secondary, like simulate pressure, put everybody up on the line, like let Humphrey and let Peters be the guys that like are going to win or lose you the game and like generate pressure. Like even, even in this, in this last play that we're talking about with the throw to Washington, like, the Steelers ended up blocking like the, the running back stayed into block. So you need seven guys. Basically, if you're going to create a free man kind of rushing the passer and I would have been okay with the Ravens letting 97 in this instance, I still don't know who he is letting 97 be kind of the extra guy, like create the extra pressure, like let your guys kind of like play tight, man. Don't do this. Like, you know, my, my problem with this play is that, like, uh, of course Ben is going to – like, Ben is looking to throw to this guy the entire time because Bowser is coming from the left side of the center to come and cover a receiver on the right side. So as soon as as soon as soon Bowser crosses the face, essentially, of what the receiver is going to be, yeah, Ben's just going to throw it to the other side and he needs to short it in front of Chuck Clark. 
And so if he does that and and he comes up with a big catch, it's a completion. Um, so I just wish the Ravens in some of these situations would just be like, like just rush more guys. Like I, I would like to see the Ravens just rush six or seven guys in these circumstances. Let your guys go out and play. Let Peter Marcus Peters, et cetera, be who they are. And if you get beat deep occasionally, you get beat deep occasionally, but don't, you know, don't let the guy free coming off the line who's being defended by the linebacker that's coming from the left side of the formation, you know, be the one to get beat. Yeah. I, and I think it's a matter of the wrong play call in a situation where Roethlisberger found the right guy and he was able to expose it. Uh, Chauncey Rivers, by the way, that's, that's his name. He's a outside linebacker. Um, squad player that guy is not an offensive outside linebacker he he is an outside linebacker he's pretty big for outside linebacker it looks like but he is he's listed at, as that um I, I also thought tyus bowser had a really good game i, I i'm picking on him a little bit here but he, like i said he was out of position and, and you get that thing where you have a route that's kind of coming up the seam and it's like a little like not even a skinny post but it is it's bending towards the middle of the field you've got the defender going the other direction and so the, like you're just at an extreme disadvantage in that circumstance with a wide receiver against a linebacker and, and kind of those directions uh, of how that's happening. But Bowser had a great game otherwise, uh, both in terms of pressure and in terms of like defense. I wish the Ravens would let Tyus Bowser play the inside linebacker spot for Patrick Queen. I, I still, to this day, do not understand why the Ravens have not given Bowser a shot to play inside linebacker. He's good in coverage. He's good in space. He seems to understand his keys really well. And he's good rushing the passer on the interior. Um, and yet Chris Ward is, is still getting some of those snaps and, and he did not look good this game. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously Bowser had that interception that was, that was pretty big. Um, it was on a fourth down play that was kind of just a toss up, but, um, he should have taken a knee, but, <laughs> um, that's not, can't complain too much about that. You know, even in this play where he was lined up against a wide receiver and kind of in a tough position, I don't, I don't think he was horrible in you know, in coverage, like he wasn't way out of position. He just, it's just a tall task for him to, to take away that, that route. Um, and that's, that's more on the scheme of, of the defensive play call than it is on his, you know, person, personal, um, inability there. So I, I agree with you. I think Bowser played a great game. Um, you know, he, he has shown the ability to rush off the edge. He's, he's a good blitzer. He's, he's good dropping into coverage and he's been an improved player in, in, run defense too. I think he's someone that, you know, the Ravens would be really important to, to, to lock up um, in the coming, you know, for the coming years, because, you know, he's going to be a free agent and Ravens have a lot of free agents at the outside linebacker position. And and he's the one that I think they really should try to try to keep um, on the roster. Yeah. I'd like to see him stay as well. And, you know, we, we saw a couple, you know, Breedson, I didn't think have a terrible game. If we're kind of talking about guys that were thrown into opportunities, I thought, um, I thought both the, the secondary, the two cornerbacks that were the new additions. Can't, I can't even remember all these guys' names, right? Um, Williams and Harris, I thought both played really well. I thought Trayvon Williams really well. Yeah, he was, he was a guy, he played a little bit past a couple weeks, I think. Maybe just one week, um, but yeah, he's he's been good for the Ravens. You know, he's um, played a little bit of a slot, allowed Marlon Humphrey to to do some other things. Um, I think he's, you know, he's up there in age. He's like 36, 37 years old. He's been around for a long time, but he still has some, you know, some ability. He he uh, had a nice hit on Ben Roethlisberger in this one, um, and you know, 
I think he's someone that is going to be one of those players that is going to be down the stretch, something that is, is important for the Ravens because they have some issues at cornerback depth. You know, hopefully they'll get Anthony Averett back sometime soon. Um, you know, they've been relying on guys like Terrell Bonds and Cleo Dorsey a little bit too much for my liking. And, you know, they've had some issues at times. And I think someone like Williams with the veteran presence, he still clearly has some ability and coverage. Um, I think that's something that is going to be a boon for them down the stretch. And, you know, if they're able to stay in this um, playoff race, I think, you know, guys like him, um, I don't know about Chauncey Rivers to see if he's going to be able to stick around, but, um, you know, some, some of these players that the Ravens have been able to, you know, kind of come into larger roles, I think will, will be important. Yeah. Um, and then I thought Chuck Clark played a good game this week after playing a really terrible game last week. Um, and I thought just Ron Elliott played a pretty poor game this week after playing a pretty effective game last week. So the, the Ravens inconsistency strikes again. And I think that is, that has been the story of this entire season. Obviously a massive COVID outbreak on this team is going to make it really hard to manage moving forward. Um, but I think to me, the big question at this point is going to be, can the Ravens put something together consistently between now and the end of the year, right? Can you have all your defensive guys play? Like I thought Humphrey played a great game. Marcus played, a, Peters played a bad game. Like Clark played a great game. Elliot had a poor game. You know, I thought Bowser had a great game and Gakaway had a poor game. You know, um, I thought Darrell Wolf, I, I thought the defensive line actually held up pretty well. Um, for what they were asked to do for the personnel that were out there. So can we start to see these guys put a, a more solid game together? And, you know, we didn't see Patrick Queen being kind of the being the weak link, but then I thought Chris Borg played pretty poorly this week. So it's just like we just, you know, obviously the quarterback play was pretty inconsistent on the offensive side and, and the, the offensive line was hit or miss and it was always going to be. But can we get an offensive line together that can play consistently? Can we get play calling that is consistent on both sides of the ball? Can we get some consistent play? We don't need it to be at 100%. Like, I think there are some teams that need that to be at 100% to win. With Lamar Jackson, this can be a team that 65% of the time it can be together and they can win. Um, and, and I don't even think we've seen 45% of the time the whole team collectively on both, all, you know, all three sides of the ball be together in one game yet this year. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's really been the story of the Ravens season has been the inconsistency. It's been – you know, some players playing well, some players not playing well, inconsistency quarter to quarter, you know, half to half, you know, you put together a couple of drives that look great. And then you can't, you know, you shrink it at three, three outs in a row. Um, and, you know, getting back to what you're talking about a little bit with, with, with offense of line, I want to mention, it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of move these players around down the stretch, because I don't know if they've started the same offensive line in like what, four or five games. It's been kind of Patrick every single week. Um, I think Colon Castillo played pretty well in this game. He wasn't someone who stood out in a big negative way. Um, and I think that might allow you to play, you know, Patrick McCarry out at right tackle, where he, I think he's also played pretty well. Um, you know, plug in Powers at right guard, Bozeman at left guard. I think you might have a makings of a, a pretty solid offensive line. Um, and if that's the case, um, maybe that's something that you can build on. And then, you know, some of the things we're talking about with the passing game, you know, with Lamar Jackson, you can get obviously a little bit more of a run game going. You have options at wide receiver. Um, I think if we can see Hollywood getting some more of that designed, designed looks in the offense, like we were talking about, then maybe this is a team that can really start to figure things out down the stretch. 
And it's, it's really, I think, all going to come down to the offense and how they can evolve with all the issues they've had, all the you know COVID um, players having to miss time, um, all the injuries they've had at an offensive line, at tight end. And then can we really you know, have Lamar Jackson kind of come back in after having this absence with the, with the positive um, COVID case? Can he come back in and, and play at the same high level that we've seen with him at, at in the past? Because I think that's the thing that the Ravens absolutely have to have if they're going to have you know, any semblance of, of, a, of a run down the stretch. Because I think that's the thing that is really going to be the linchpin of it. I think the defense will be good. It may not be as elite as we've seen, but, you know, Clayus Campbell and Brandon Williams should be getting back. I already mentioned Averitt. You know, Judon's going to miss another game, but they're pretty deep at outside linebacker. I think you're going to start to have a pretty solid defense. You don't have a horrible schedule. And if you can get the offense clicking, then you could potentially be one of those teams that gets hot at the right time. Yeah, I think that's right. And I don't know that I agree that um, the defense isn't going to be really dominant. I think we're going to see the defense be if everybody kind of gets back in the next couple of weeks and they've got the extra time now to the Dallas game, it would supposed to be tomorrow. So they get an extra five days. <laughs> they, they get an extra five days before they have to play. So if Campbell and Williams can come back, they need them back for the Cleveland game. That'll be the one that I think they need them back the most for. But the Dallas game is eminently winnable um you know even without them we won't have judon we won't have andrews we won't have sneed so it'll be you know jackson will be eligible to come back obviously these guys all have to test negative for covid to be able to come back um in enough time to play but ideally you know you get jackson back and you give them a chance to try and put some of this offense together and 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 it's time for greg roman to forge a new identity like he said he was going to i haven't seen it yet still um, waiting for it so what if he does if he does it, you know, and again, like, honestly, I would be absolutely fine with the Ravens, like totally bringing the whole thing back, like putting the guys back under center, running the ball, going into heavy sets, like making teams like defend the run really effectively with Lamar as part of that running game. And then like a deep play action threat over the top of that as your passing game. And like just committing to that, I would be fine with that being the new identity. I think that is not the long-term plan and that is not maximizing Lamar Jackson's success, but this team's if this team is built around the defense, I think it has an opportunity to be really good. Get, keep them off the field, let them stay rested, find ways to score 25 points a game. And this is a team that if you can do that, can beat just about anybody in the league, I think, except for teams that, you know, that are more like the Green Bays and uh, the Kansas Cities of the world that are just going to that are going to put up, even if you play a really good defensive game, at least 25 points. Yeah, that, I think that's definitely true. And and Kansas City, I think, is the one team that I, I know they haven't been blowing out teams like you want like you want to see like the elite teams doing, but you know, they, they just have so much going for them on, on the offensive side of the ball. It's hard to imagine many teams being able to beat them. And I don't know if the Ravens are one of those teams that can. I think on their best day they probably could. Um, but it's it really comes down to being on a score. And I think that's what the Ravens have shown the most struggles with this year on offense. They haven't been able to consistently score. They haven't been able to consistently, you know, perform well in the red zone. Um, and I think that's what we need to see um, down the stretch. And I think it's really all on Lamar Jackson because he hasn't been perfect by any stretch of the imagination. He's had his share of errors this year. He hasn't played at the same level as what we've seen from the past. And I think 
I know it's, it's kind of cliche to say it's on the quarterback, but in this situation, it definitely is because he's your best player. He needs to step up and he needs to act like he's your best player because um, there have been games where I think plays have been left on the field specifically by Jackson that could have won the games and they haven't been made. If he starts making those plays, then I think it's a completely different team. Yeah, I agree. So we'll, we'll have another game, but on Tuesday <laughs> and then is the Cleveland game pushed back to Tuesday as well, or is that still the following Monday or it got pushed from Sunday to Monday, right? I honestly haven't been paying attention to that. I, I should probably look into it. I know it had a whole ripple effect. Um, so we'll have to go back. I'll have to go back and check and see what the schedules are going to be like. Yeah, I think they play they play Dallas on the 8th uh, and then the Browns on the 14th. So Monday night. Monday night, yeah. So we'll see. Um, it's a pretty easy schedule to run it out. They don't have Burrow kind of lurking in that week 17 either. So, you know, win the next two weeks and, and you know, the Ravens should feel pretty good about where they stand and, and hopefully they get it together moving forward here. Yep, I think that's what we're hoping to see. And, you know, the next two games are really going to probably be what decides the outcome of the season because I think down the stretch you aren't going to expect too much from, from the from the the end of the schedule. So I think if you can win these two games, you're pretty much in good shape to, to have a playoff berth. Um, and then, like I said, if, if they can kind of get the offense clicking, the defense has been there pretty much all year. Um, I think they're going to be a team that is going to be, you know, tough to beat. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you guys can check us out on Twitter. I'm at BSL Jordan Co. He's at Gabe Fergie. Hopefully we'll see a much better game in terms of on-field product coming up next week. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc